Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland, Aramaic, Forgiveness, and download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also download the actual download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. You can click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. And we hope people do all of that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively use these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, you can do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. Alternatively, you can send us an email, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And if we get that kind of a comment or question or testimonial from you, we will address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we were able to do that so you can listen back to the archive for the feedback, the input, etc. And we're greatly appreciative whenever anybody decides to do that, whether you call in live or send us an email, because that makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole lot easier to accomplish as an intention than or as a goal when we actually have direct input from people. Uh, it's kind of the uh, the difference between having a very good map and destination and constant feedback from our GPS or flying blind and hoping that you know some kind of a vague goal or intention gets fulfilled eventually. So, to whatever degree you're willing and able, please assist us in assisting you. Let us know how this this work is landing for you, as I like to say. We've been doing um, support groups for what's going to be uh, what's been a full 19 years now, and um, so Tuesday night that was last night we had a support group. We'll have another one tomorrow night on Thursday, and uh, we encourage people to participate in those, join us, uh, and or um, send somebody that you think might be a benefit benefit from uh, participating. It's absolutely free. All you need is a computer and a Zoom link, and the Zoom links are found at mindshiftersacademy.org website. And um, our group last night was all discussion, all working out, all feeding back getting feedback from people about the uh, basically a continuation of the last couple of uh, internet radio shows with Michael and Jeannie and um, the question about whether or not we need to be in defense, we need to protect ourselves and uh, the, the reading from the Course in Miracles that talks about how in my defenselessness my safety lies and Michael went on and talked about all kinds of things that were triggering for people and they'd gotten an email from somebody that asked about you know what about applying forgiveness when I've had multiple rapes that I've experienced in my life and or I've been raped and my daughter's been raped, etc. And how does that, this concept of forgiveness apply in a situation like that? So we had quite a bit of discussion about that kind of thing and we had some people very triggered about the idea that we're blaming victims. And so um, that's the kind of thing that can get going in a support group, in a safe environment where people are free to say, you know what, I think you're blaming victims here, and I think this is wrong, and and uh, and so people can explore these ideas in safety. And um, 
that's one of the main goals that we have or intentions we have with our support groups is to provide a community where it's safe to discuss these things and um, explore, try out, at least intellectually explore what might be a different way to approach this kind of a situation than what I've been taught in my culture or by my family, etc. So that's what was happening in the support group last night and they're all every one of them's different sometimes we listen to an hour or so from one of our favorite teachers or watch a video from one of our favorite teachers and sometimes we just end up having discussion the entire um, two and a half hours which is what happened last night so um, you know I I hope that people can understand, they can hear that one of the primary tenets of this work is that if I'm feeling upset, if I'm feeling triggered to upset, if I'm triggered into uh, a state where I'm taking offense uh, by something someone else said or did, that is an inside job and to whatever degree I can maintain my awareness that I'm creating my own emotions and my own responses that I'm choosing an interpretation and placing it on a completely neutral life event in each new present moment to whatever degree I can maintain that awareness I can get access to the few things in this experience of life that I have control over and I can reframe any thought that I might have been conditioned into from my family or culture any thought that leads me to believing I'm a victim and I can shift the focus of my awareness to the few things I have control over and choose an entirely different interpretation of the life events and therefore construct an entirely different experience of those life events and that's what we're here to help people do time and time again um, sometimes for the first time ever and sometimes for the umpteenth time many years in a row because we all need to keep practicing to undo as Michael Rice likes to talk about not just what's happened in our own lives and our family and what we were conditioned to and what our personal traumas have been but we need to be about the work of dismantling the generational traumas the long-held cross-generational family patterns which whether we like it or not whether we're aware of it or not they get activated in us and they become a major contributing factor to our experience of life and to our formation of perception you know I may not be aware of it but my perception is a very active process I don't just open my eyes and look at what's out there in the world my history my cross-generational family patterns my personal experience of trauma my hopes my fears my goals are actively choosing my perception each moment creating how the world looks to me 
creating the meaning that I'm giving all of these experiences I have as I interact with the flow of life. And so if you're aware of that and you actively practice knowing that any time your perception has you generating a negative emotion, that's your guidance system to tell you that something is off in your perception. If you're already doing that, great. You, you may not need to stay tuned to this, this um, discussion today. But if that's anything other than your all-day, everyday practice in life, participating in these application of worship for the very same theme we've been reading from the book Choose Again Six Steps to Freedom by Diedrich Wolzak and um, we're at chapter 11 which is titled Family Dynamics and the Six-Step Process. Now, in the 10th chapter, it was the fleshing out of the details of step six in this process. And chapter was titled, And I forgive myself for forgetting that my truth is that I'm part of the one mind, that I am love, that I am whole and complete just as I am, etc. The summary from the last chapter had six points. Point number one, forgiveness is the process by which the beliefs that make up my ego, my small s ego self, those beliefs get diminished so that my awareness of my capital S self, my true self, my higher consciousness can grow. Point number two, we need to forgive ourselves for our mistaken beliefs, who we think we are, and for forgetting who we are in truth in order that we can reclaim the happiness that is our birthright. Point number three, we want to keep processing and transforming negative beliefs until our emotional reaction is down to zero. Point number four, this forgiveness process does not condone bad behavior. We're not forgiving the behavior of others or ourselves. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is about removing the negativity, the false beliefs, the negative beliefs from my awareness so I have an easy, direct conscious awareness of my true nature as love point number five the ego will start to reinforce old beliefs again unless we remain vigilant with our thoughts he gives the analogy of the rainforest and hacking a path through the rainforest a lot of hard work but it can be done and if you go away for a week or two and you come back you won't even be able to find your path the rainforest will grow over it again same thing with our negative thoughts and beliefs. We need to be vigilant 
we need to be willing to work with even the smallest negative thoughts if our hope is to have easy, ready access to our awareness of our true nature. And the sixth point is, above all, do not make yourself wrong. So if you find you've been beating yourself up and spinning in negative thoughts, don't spend any extra time beating yourself up over it. Just say, oh, look, I spent the last couple of weeks right back in an old pattern of negativity. And then I can take a breath and say, okay, I'm going to choose again. I'm going to choose for joy. I'm going to choose to remove false beliefs. I'm going to choose to pick up the reality management worksheet or the choose again six-step method. And I can release the temptation to judge myself as being wrong or bad. So that brings us to Chapter 11, which is titled Family Dynamics and the Six-Step Process. He quotes uh, someone whose name I can't pronounce as saying, Quote, nurturing our own minds will also affect those around us. We will benefit family, friends, colleagues, and society in general when we nurture our own minds. And Diedrich writes, do not try to change the world, but change your mind about the world. He writes, this universal teaching suggests that you are in charge of your experience in the world. Understanding this, you are removed from the victim role and you establish yourself as the author of your dream rather than just the one who is experiencing your dreams. The question arises, does changing my mind actually change the world? Well, for most of us, that may seem like a tall order. And the idea follows you and allows you a different interpretation, a new way of seeing what you believe to be happening. It is in the shift in perception that your entire world will change. I've also found that when I do my work, when I process my mistaken beliefs and dismantle them, many others in my life seem to be doing the same thing. We often hear from clients that after they've been to our center that, quote, well, I went back to work and people have changed so much while I was away, close quotes. That is what we refer to as the ripple effect of this work. When one person heals, many around her may seem to be healed at the same time. Of course, in Miracle says, when you heal, you are never healed alone. Now, that might seem pretty wild, but we've seen it happen over and over again. Some of the effects of this are seen and others are not. An analogy to this universal societal healing is that healing takes place within the family unit because one member has begun healing work. The healing of one person's dysfunction can very often become the catalyst to bring dramatic healing to the family dysfunction of the whole. 
it tends to bring in increasing self-awareness and heightened consciousness to other members of the family who then in turn begin to see the role they have played in forging a family dynamic which in the past may have led to strife conflict depression or a host of other problems one member of the family comes to us and says ouch and that ouch is a cry for help on behalf of the entire family Dietrich writes when I began my practice I worked primarily with youth suffering addictions and other negative behaviors invariably parents would arrive at my office and proceed to tell me that their children were in some sort of trouble and needed fixing parents generally want their kids to behave in a certain way get good grades go to university find employment these things certainly seem to be reasonable desires very often however that desire is fed by feelings of guilt or unworthiness parents want their children to be evidence of the parents worth if however your child has other ideas and it looks as if the parents preordained path might not be followed then the parents sometimes reach out for help to get their progeny back on the right track what they call the right track it is a fearful thing for most parents to have a child that does not conform to societal norms whenever a parent comes to see me about difficulties they're having with a son or a daughter I will invariably suggest we start doing some healing work with the parents before we even think of talking to the child even if the child is clearly making choices that are reflecting self-hatred the reason for this is that what needs to change first is the parents perception of the problem if the parents are willing to process their own fears their own beliefs and their own lack of self-love very often their child's behavior will also change as a natural outcome there are a number of reasons for that first of all all parties in this story are part of a family system the child's core beliefs that he or she is not good enough for example it demands evidence to be reinforced the parents core beliefs perhaps also about not being good enough they need evidence as well and the child's behavior provides that evidence the child's cry for love is being met by the parents own cry for love and conflict ensues if the parents succeed in addressing their own issues then they'll no longer need to cry for love and they can extend love instead as the relationship of each parent to himself or herself is transformed the relationship between parent and child changes naturally often at surprisingly fast speeds second if the parents do their work and gain an understanding of who they are in truth capital T truth and that everything is for their healing and that nothing ever goes wrong then they can be much calmer when they're faced with another night of drinking or drugging or binging or purging whatever the problem of the child might be seen to be 
then a child's inappropriate behavior is no longer seen as, quote, wrong, close quotes, but as a cry for love. When a parent does not react negatively to their child's behavior, he or she will no longer reflect the guilt the child is looking for as evidence of their own unworthiness. In other words, the parents have stepped out of the action-evidence-reaction cycle. This prevents the child from feeding her guilt addiction, so the evidence of his or her badness no longer mounts. The underlying beliefs are then not being fed. Third, the child will see the change in his or her parents and will be curious about what has caused that change to happen. They may be curious enough to want to try it as well. This happened on many occasions. Here's one of them. One woman, Karen, brought her daughter, Joanne, to see me and explained that Joanne was a total mess. Joanne had been anorexic and she was now bulimic. She was drinking, smoking, and taking drugs. She was leaving the house at all hours of the night to go to raves in distant towns. She had virtually dropped out of school in grade nine. I managed to convince Karen, the mother, to come and see me to work on her own issues, which she did weekly for a couple of months. Now, I want to highlight here, several times as I've been reading this book, Diedrich talks about cures that seem to be a one or two session cure. And so please hear this. Karen, the mother, came to see me to work on her own issues, which she did once a week for a couple of months. And that's not extraordinary. That's just the beginning for some people. And by using the six-step process regularly, Karen was able to get off the antidepressant medication she had taken for over 20 years. She started exercising and looking after her health in ways that she would not allow herself time to do before. Her strained relationship with her husband began to change and transform for the better, and Joanne, her daughter, reported that she felt better. Knowing that she was no longer able to drag her mother down with her when she was out of control. It took a few years, but Joanne eventually agreed to come to the center in Costa Rica and stayed for a few months. While she was with us, she learned to experience joy without needing substances. So the daughter, Joanne, by healing her core beliefs, was able to return to her life and turn it around completely. It's interesting to note that Karen was so happy to shed her depression that she brought her husband Jack to see me. We worked on his stress levels. He was a top executive in a multinational firm. Shortly after he learned the six-step process, he took on a global position which he would not have been able to manage previously because of the enormous stress load and the problems at home. I even met with Joanne's grandmother, who'd been quite traumatized by her granddaughter's behavior. 
she needed to do a lot of work around her own sense of worth. And she reported that our sessions helped her in all sorts of unexpected ways, even just dealing with previously awkward social situations. Joanne's brother, John, who'd left for university and stayed away afterward in an effort to escape his dysfunctional family, he returned after nine years, seeing how much everyone had changed. He'd been having a battle with depression, so he and his wife came to see me. Both of them report vast improvement in their relationship and in their own happiness. I feel so privileged to work with families because it is usually family dynamics that generate core beliefs in the first place. And it is remarkable to see the results when whole families work on their healing together. Many years ago, a young woman named June came to our healing center in Costa Rica. The month before arriving, she had undergone 10 electroshock treatments. She had been prescribed 12 different mood-altering medications, and as you can imagine, she was a mess. Her psychiatrist had basically thrown up his hands in despair. There was nothing left in his toolbox he could suggest with any reasonable hope of success. In addition to a huge smorgasbord of meds, she had indulged in street drugs as well. Mostly cocaine. She was not present in the moment when you were in front of her. Her eyes were dull, her spirit was virtually broken, and her will to survive was flickering at a very low pitch. But there was something to work with, and that was anger. She was angry at herself, angry at the world, angry at her parents, and angry at her partner. While it was clear that in our work together, for its own sake, not a very useful emotion, in this case it showed me that there is still a fighting spirit, even if the fight was directed at herself and mostly self-destructive. Her stay at the center was memorable. Rarely had I seen an ego so committed to self-destructing without actually taking that last irrevocable step. She demonstrated every day how the ego will resist healing, how the fear of love is really the only fear there is, and how she was absolutely determined to preserve her self-made identity at all costs. It was an epic struggle between her loving, capital S, self, and the little s ego self that she made up. In the end, her higher self won. Her parents both came down and spent time with us, learning our process and learning the new language that their daughter had begun to master. After June went home to be with her family, in an entirely new way, we learned of the remarkable ripple effect story which came out of this healing. June's mother had not talked to her brother, June's uncle, in 25 years. However, once June's mother was exposed to the healing work that we do and began to understand the power of forgiveness, she too started reaching out. She decided to call her brother and to extend love. 
They had a wonderful, loving conversation, and during their talk, she happened to recall that their father had died of colon cancer. She asked this long-estranged brother, have you had a colonoscopy lately or at all? He said, no, I haven't. Well, she urged him to do so. Shortly thereafter, he had the colonoscopy, and its results revealed he had colon cancer. Now, the disease was at a very early stage, and because it was caught so early, her brother recovered fully and has been clear of any signs of cancer ever since. That is one of the enormously gratifying aspects of this work. We have no idea how far the healing ripples can go. But we trust fully that they will go, and they'll go far, and keep having an even wider effect on more people and families. To me, this story epitomizes what can happen. Strange as it may seem, families of the people who come to the center often resist healing and transformation because they feel a powerful pull to maintain the status quo. To change family dynamics requires the commitment on the part of more than one family member if it is to be successful. The family often reverts to dysfunction because it is what all parties are used to. They know how to handle that, however miserable it may make them. I want to be absolutely clear that this is not out of malicious intent, but this happens simply because the ego-slash-family system naturally resettles into a familiar pattern. This is paradoxically called the, quote, comfort zone, close quotes, of the family. Although very little true comfort is found in that state. Allow me to shed some light on this puzzling phenomenon. The person who has been, quote, selected, close quotes, by the family to be the black sheep has become the symbol of their guilt. He or she is the walking mirror reflecting the deeply held belief in guilt shared by the entire family. Now, if this person were to heal and no longer be evidence for the mistaken belief in guilt that the other family members sustain, they will have to find a new mirror to find and remind them of their painful beliefs. Once we're aware of this status quo tendency, and we've made a genuine commitment to continue our healing no matter what, Miracles begin to happen. Families are transformed and generational hurts are healed. Ancient hatreds and feuds are reinterpreted and forgiven. And that is why everyone who works with me is so passionately dedicated to this work. We have seen so many seemingly hopeless situations turn around. So many broken relationships returned to love. So many lives get back on track, and that is our greatest joy. The first step begins with you. You are worth it. Commit. Commit to a year of really committed awareness and processing. One year, that's it. You probably cannot imagine the enormous healing shifts that will inevitably happen in all aspects of your life. That's all for the better. 
commit to using the tools that resonate most with you. In this case, Diedrich is offering the Choose Again Six Steps to Freedom method. That is the end of Chapter 11, and that's the first chapter that doesn't have a summary. So I'll take a breath and take a sip of water and ask if there are questions or comments, either from the chat room or anybody on the panel on the call. And decide whether or not we have a discussion or I go on and read part of chapter 12 as we move through this second half of our first hour. Going once, going twice, going three times, no hands are up that I can see anyway. So I will continue reading chapter 12. It's titled, Six-Step Missteps. And Plato is quoted as saying, Wisdom begins when a man finds out that he does not know what he thinks he knows. Diedrich writes, The six-step process is an extraordinarily effective way to remove barriers to love, thereby increasing happiness in those who choose to use it. There are, however, a few pitfalls to be aware of. The ego's very survival is threatened by this process. The ego is sly, and it's even vicious in its endeavor to reassert itself. Here are some of the most common challenges. Number one, justifying feelings. Diedrich writes, do not stray from step two. Step two says, me, it's all about me. I cannot emphasize this point enough. Do not fall for the temptation to justify your feelings. It's so easy and so tempting to admit that you're upset, step one, only to immediately tell yourself or others why you're upset. This justification, quote, I am upset because, dot, 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 close quotes. This is not easy to shake off, and yet, that's all you have to do. Without mind training, you have no idea why you're upset. You just think you know, so you can immediately move into the territory of, I'm right. The trained mind remembers I am not upset for the reason I think. And then that mind begins the necessary inquiry into which belief chose this upset. Once you've undertaken the process and accepted step two as essential, step two again is me. This is about me. I'm creating this. I'm creating every emotion I experience. Once you step into that, do not allow yourself to slip back into the story. The story has only one purpose, and that is to hide the truth and allow you to continue to project and protect a core belief. You are not your story. You just think that you are. You made up that story, and then you forgot that you made it up. Remember, 
that the little S self who made up the story is not who you really are. Point number two in six step missteps. The second misstep is beware the spiritualized ego. And Diedrich writes, the spiritualized ego knows the right language. It can quote spiritual platitudes with the best of them. And it can smile under any circumstance, even while it is seething with anger. The spiritualized ego is not interested in doing this work. Why would it? That would bring about its demise. The spiritualized ego is hell-bent on protecting its image. There are many examples of this little creature at work, and here are a few. Quote, I felt ignored by her, but I know that was just a cry for love on her part. Close quotes. Quote, Ah, uh, your mother died. Did she die? Oh, well, just remember, you're not a body, and she wasn't a body either. Close quotes. Quote, I hear you're getting a divorce. I wonder how you created that. Close quotes. Quote, he yelled at me, attacked me verbally in the most horrific fashion. I was terrified, but I know he is innocent. Close quotes. Or, quote, when you did that, you made me feel absolutely worthless, but I know I'm innocent. Close quotes. Dietrich writes, please note the seductive quality of the spiritualized ego. It is always justified in its pain and suffering, always right that it was someone else's doing, and it's always ready to state the spiritual cliché, quote, it's all just an illusion, close quotes. That last line is really important to intercept. If you are upset in any way at all, it is not an illusion to you at that time. It is real to you, and unless you do your work to own the upset and process it, you've merely joined in the multitude of spiritualized egos that march in lockstep to the tune of, quote, it's not real, it doesn't matter, close quotes, etc. Now this group of people is not a good crowd to hang out with. The third misstep for the six-step process is using the work as a weapon. Ooh, this is a toughie. There are people on this call, there are people in this community who use this work as a weapon. Diedrich writes, couples who are familiar with this work can sometimes use it as ammunition against each other. It is not uncommon for a couple who have temporarily forgotten who they are to angrily challenge one another with statements like, quote, what are you believing? You know this is about you, close quotes. This is like a red flag to a bull. You can only help another to process what is going on with them if you are at peace yourself. Only 
when you are truly at peace, can you ask that important loving question, quote, tell me how you are feeling. You are believing something that could not be true. What do you think it might be? Close quotes. Diedrich warns, never enter into a discussion or process with someone who is upset unless you yourself are at peace. Another way to use this as a weapon is illustrated by this story. Many years ago, we had a young man in our youth program who seemed to take to the work. He said all the right things and seemingly made genuine progress in many areas. One day, I got a call from his dad, furious at me. What is this garbage you're teaching my son, he asked. I asked him what happened, and he told me the following. He said, quote, I work hard. I'm a welder. I do not make tons of money. I had saved up for a brand new pickup truck, which I need for work, and paid for it with cash. My son took a spike and ran it the length of the truck, and when I exploded, the little bastard had the nerve to say, quote, you seem very upset. That is your process, close quotes. Diedrich asks, are you getting the picture? That is both a spiritualized ego in full flight and someone using the material as a weapon. Misstep number four, using, quote, I am innocent, close quotes, as an excuse for bad behavior. Now, this is a tricky one. We've had more than one person at the center with a substance abuse issue who would say, quote, I can now go back home and do a line of coke without feeling guilty, close quotes, to which we reply, no. This is a dramatic misunderstanding and an abuse of this work. If you know that you are innocent, if you know who you are in truth, capital T truth, it would not even occur to you to engage in an activity or a habit which could only spring from self-hatred. I used to drink myself into a stupor most nights for 30-plus years. That is self-hatred in action. Now, I do not have to fight against drinking. I do not have to resist the temptation. Drinking to excess is an anathema to me now. The I, quote I, close quotes, whom I know myself to be, does not even consider that level of abuse as an option to fight against. Misstep number five, settling for merely, quote, better than before, close quotes. Diedrich writes, this is what I call accepting the proverbial seven of happiness on a scale of one to ten. This is a common pitfall. When I owned a restaurant many lifetimes ago, I learned that, quote, good enough close quotes, was never good enough. 
it is the same with this work. If you were a negative 236 on a scale of 1 to 10, on the scale of happiness, when you started this work, and now you're at a 2, the ego may tell you, well done, that's good enough. Our invitation is, don't fall for it. You deserve to be fully happy. That is your birthright. We invite you to claim it. Settling for a 7 out of 10 is not safe. The measure of unhappiness you are allowing yourself will start growing again. And before long, you will find yourself thinking of ways of ending it all. Vigilance and discipline. Two dirty words to the ego, but they deserve your full commitment. You are so worth it. This number six misstep. Processing while not, quote, in the feeling, close quotes. If you do not connect your feeling and connect to it to trace it back to a belief, and instead you rely on your thinking to seek out a situation from the past, then you are undertaking an intellectual exercise that will not work. Intellectually, it means absolutely no sense, makes no sense, that I would feel responsible for the World War II camps that I grew up in. But feeling revealed that that insane belief was in me. Here he, he cites the Appendix B of this book, which talks about holotropic breathwork, because that's how he uncovered that belief. Misstep number seven, using the ego mind to repeat forgiveness for formulas. So he, so he writes, if you're simply speaking from ego when you say, forgive me for believing I'm unlovable, close quotes, while still inwardly telling yourself, yeah, you know, you're full of, no you're full of nonsense. That's not true. You're a fraud. If that's happening, then you'll notice the feeling does not shift. This process depends not on the words that are said, but it depends on the intention behind them. And your intention must be to hand over your beliefs to your higher self. Your intention must be to dismantle every negative belief about yourself. Misstep number eight, frustration that processed beliefs return. Diedrich writes, do not underestimate the addictive quality of guilt. Like all other feelings, it can generate a biochemical addiction. He writes, I know a lot of people, including myself, who can go for a long time being really nice and loving and then do something not so nice. Why? Why would you ask, would that happen? Diedrich believes it's because we need a fix. We want to get a little shot of that biochemical cocktail called guilt in order to reinforce old beliefs. The ego will inevitably seek ways to sabotage your healing unless you remain vigilant with your thoughts at all times. 
This is the ongoing challenge of the work. The important thing is not to let lapses become another reason to beat yourself up and or provide evidence for your lack of being worthy or your, your being stupid or any other negative belief of your choosing. I use the phrase, Aw, honey, whenever my ego acts up and starts telling me what a hopeless case I am. This is an effective way of taking its power away. Beliefs can be tenacious little beasties. My belief that I am not supported still kicks in from time to time, or so I've been told by those who love me. Or my ego chimes in and says, or they just pretend to love me. The invitation is to be patient. This work is not an instant fix. It is not a pill. It's not a magic elixir concocted by an angel just for you. This is a method for changing your mind. There are no pills that cure depression any more than there is a drug which will make you permanently happy. If there were, we would be idiots not to rush out and buy it, all of us. So instead, be patient and be gentle with yourself. When you fall backward, as you almost certainly will, do not make yourself wrong. Be prepared to go through the six steps over and over and over again. So often I've heard people say, quote, I did that process yesterday, close quotes. Yes, and a belief that is only weakened is still there. So if it comes back, get back to your process immediately. Be patient as well. If you're feeling lousy, why would you be patient? Do not pass go until you feel great. Do not wallow in feeling sorry for yourself and let your ego tell you, well, I'm working on it. Be aware of when you're feeding an old belief, a nasty old wolf, an addiction. So be kind, but be impatient. Don't beat yourself up once again every time you get triggered. That happens to all of us. Just go back to step two and begin again. So there's an afterword in this book. He titles this heading, Implications and Applications of the Six-Step Process. Diedrich writes, well, you've taken the time to read this little book, and you may even have started applying some of its teachings. If so, you've probably begun to glimpse the immense potential benefits of using this process. So in closing, I would like to suggest some areas where the six-step process is likely to have an impact. He begins with children and the educational system. Another heading is bullying. Another heading is depression. Another heading is medicine, health, and wellness. Another one is hyperactivity disorder. Another is the criminal justice system. Another is the happiness quotient. Another is sports. Another is business. And again, he comes back to families and relationships. He wraps up with divorce, public speaking, sexual harassment, etc. 
So as an appendix, he's got the feeling sheet and other tools of transformation, including holotropic breathing, breath work, etc. So that is the reading of the Choose Again Six-Step Method. And there is a PDF file that I got from signing up for Diedrich's whatever I signed up for that I have had on my computer. And I was making it available to people in support group last night. And I have... Um, I've made the offer to make it available if somebody wants it from from me. If you can't find it on his website or can't get tapped into it from signing up for his newsletter or whatever, um, the PDF is about 34 pages long. So uh, I will make the offer. If somebody wants to email me, I can send them the link to a Google Drive file that contains Diedrich's six-step process in a 34-page PDF. Again, my email address is tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And it may not be an instant response, but if you if you email me and don't get a response in a day or two, please email again. I've been having some challenges, I've been told, with my follow-through on the email from the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. But if you're so inclined, send me an email and ask for the Diedrich Wolzak Choose Again PDF six-step process PDF and as time allows I will send that to you and as always um, we're here again tomorrow and Friday open for comments or questions either through email or phone I will remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. And that was um, at tjh at mindshiftersacademy.org? Well, you have to have a hyphen in there, mindshifters-academy.org. Okay. All right. Because that's just how the website got set up. Okay. All right. Well, have yourself a wonderful show. Thank you. Appreciate you. So, welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, October the 18th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you into queue on the switchboard. And we know you want to talk to us instead of that you're just out there listening. We'd love to hear from you because when we hear your questions and comments, it makes it your show and directs us in the direction that you want to hear the show go for the day. 
We're here to support you, and that's our way of supporting you. And so uh, if you have a question, press 1, and that puts a hand up. If you're listening on another sh uh, station that we can't see you on their switchboard, then dial 563-999-3581 and press 1. We'll give Michael just a moment to dial in, and um, while we're waiting, I will read something to you. Um, there's another so I get three things every day. One is from Diedrich Wolfsack. One is from uh, Educari Unlearning, and the other one is from Edgar Casey. And this morning, the uh, unlearning insight for the day was clarity. And I read it to Michael. I said, it sounds like we're all on the same page doing the same work. But it says, clarity is innate. It arrives when there is no resistance to the way life is being. Our quote-unquote figure-it-out mind is searching for the clarity that only comes from the soul. The soul receives, reveals, and unfolds the highest order of the universe that you are ready for. Can you let yourself relax into receiving unmanifested potential as it takes form? The conditioned mind gets afraid of this because it ignorantly trusts the buckets of knowledge that it has gathered and stored more than the river of truth that's waiting to pour itself out for you. One way to develop this capacity is to try writing without editing, suppressing, or controlling that which is unfolding. Another is to meditate by observing without grasping whatever floats through consciousness independent of the content. With practice, you will surprise your mind with the new clarity that arrives, often speaking ideas you have never thought of before. And I thought that, you know, it's exactly what we teach. No resistance to the way life is. That's letting go of your goals to stop trying to figure it out. That's a pseudo-solution. And to wait and let yourself relax into receiving. You know, a lot of people... We've done in intensives, we have done uh, exercises where you send and receive love, like you're just doing the love exchange. And so many people, you know, they, they do fine in the sending and they will tell us afterwards that they had a hard time receiving. And I don't know if that's from, you know, past experiences or if it's from feeling that they're not worthy or whatever, but... To be able to relax into just receiving what potential takes form in your life. And then the part about um, one way to do it is to write without editing, suppressing, or controlling what's unfolding. That's our mind shifters, you know, just doing the journaling and, and letting it flow without trying to um, figure out what was, you know, what you're writing down or if it even makes sense. And then, of course, meditating and breathing and being independent of the content, just letting whatever flows flow. And, you know, that's where we talk about being the observer or being the actor apart from the action, you know. And so all of that was just so much like what we teach. And so I wanted to share that with you today. And then the one that came with... Uh, Diedrich today, he quoted Krishnamurti and said, you can only be afraid of what you think you know. And then he goes on to say, 
There is nothing to be afraid of ever. So afraid of the unknown. Well, that is never true. As soon as I dig a little, I find what I am afraid of is a replay of stuff that I made up a long time ago. I am insane. Oh, I thought that was cute too. And so wanted to share those with you today and hope you're having a good day, a blessed day. Had a good time yesterday afternoon with Aria. Uh, Ryan's on vacation this week, so we've been limited in the amount of time that we have her here. And it was it was fun being with her. And Michael was teaching her. To, we were playing a game of food. And so she was the cook and she was fixing like hamburgers and things like that. It was fake food, of course, at her little play stove. And so she brought it over and Michael said, well, that's not good food combining. And she, she started to get a little bit like, ugh. And she goes, well, I haven't learned that yet. And he says, well, he says, let me tell you about it. And so he started talking about, you know, that if you're going to eat meat, you eat it with like a salad. You don't eat it with potatoes. And that's what they always serve in restaurants is potatoes and meat. Or, you know, potatoes and salad go together or meat and salad go together. And you don't mix fruit with it. And we had eaten some watermelon just a little bit earlier. And so he explained to her how quickly watermelon digests. And so you don't want to eat something big on top of it. And uh, so anyway, she sat there and listened and learned. So it was, it was fun. I see Michael has joined us. So I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And it's sweet how receptive she is, isn't it? Just amazing. Yes, it is. Willing to learn. Well, I'm going to ask everybody to hold space for me today. This morning I have woke up with the inclination to do an article on what's happening in the Middle East right now uh, from a point of view of responsibility. I went through some of the same jitters that I did about, was about 15 years ago, Ginny, when we spoke at the uh, Holocaust Museum in Fort Lauderdale? Yeah. And I actually went into one of the deepest healing crises I've ever been in, one of the most traumatic to the next day. But we had spoken. There was a gentleman who'd done our work for several years, and he was a member of a, a uh, congregation there in Fort Lauderdale, and he wanted to bring forgiveness into the uh, congregation. So he asked his rabbi check me out, which he did. I got full approval the minute that I mentioned that I was working with the Aramaic. His response was, all of our wisdom keepers were Aramaic. If that's what you're doing, you're in. It was just like that easy to get permission to speak, and we ended up speaking at a Shabbat service. And then out of that came, there was someone who I don't remember they worked at or knew somebody at the, the Holocaust Museum, and so they invited me to come and do a Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop, and with great trepidation, I brought up the Holocaust and what needed to happen for healing to occur. And I don't remember how many people we had. I am thinking maybe 7,500 in that room down there, and um, there was such receptivity. I didn't mention Yeshua's name. 
I didn't mention anything from the New Testament. Everything could be verified from Old Testament quotes. So start out, and uh, this morning, as I say, I had this inclination to, uh, to write about that. So I started out with a quote from Job. And give me one second here while I look at this. You also, at the Holocaust Museum, spoke of um, that were involved, like we were talking about yesterday, involved in their life and not the victim. Exactly. That was the whole point of it, and that's where I'm going with this. Just give me one second here while I catch up with my... So Job 3.25, he teaches us a really powerful lesson. That which I feared most has come upon me. A family, many families, wipes out. Again, question mark. And they were interviewing some people here in the States who had family killed in the recent attack in Israel. And the question that they ask is, Literally, they were quoted in the article. We really don't understand why this happened to us. So, you know, pretty shocking event. And and the answer is rather shocking, too, if you're really well-groomed in the ways of the world. Because there's only one answer that will ever bring serenity, that will ever bring healing into reach with this generational war that's gone on between brothers for too darn long. And then I quote from Samuel 1, Samuel 5, pardon me, 15, 3. Here's instruction, supposedly comes from God. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. And then Joshua 6:21 again ostensibly from God, and they utterly destroyed all that was in this city, both man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, ass, with the edge of a sword. Another version of that passage says, go in and clean house. Don't leave anything breathing. Don't leave a donkey, a child, a woman, an old man, or an old woman breathing. Wipe out Jericho. So the, what's the work that's required for real healing? And I go on with the article to say, as long as the traumatic energetic memories remain unresolved in the genes, in the family systems, in the teachings of people, generation after generation will live in the desert of unresolved internal trauma expressed as destructive action in the world. Many, if not all of our wounds and therefore our pain are rooted in genetically inherited traumas, multi-generational assaults reinforced through unconscious actions, generation after generation, stored and repeated ad nauseum. Each pain perception appears to be different, but all are based in that hidden, dissociated trauma that, when activated, obscures the subtle, currently available experience of ourselves as our true nature love. 
And most will say, forgive the perpetrators. Please, that person knows nothing about removing trauma from your genes. If someone tells you that you need to forgive another or yourself, understand that they know nothing about actual forgiveness. Never forgive anyone, but forgive continuously. So, if you're feeling frustrated, angry, annoyed, terrorized, murderous, rage, afraid, lonely, aversion, fill in the blank, responding out of wounds, blaming others, blaming yourself. If you're unable to hold the mind of love in yourself, it is always an opportunity to heal the pain constructs of my own body, mind, nervous system. Sadly, when I hold unresolved pain or trauma within, it's easy to put the underlying energies of that trauma into my brain's internally constructed perceptual images of others, pretending that they are the cause. In this way, my mind's trauma or pain-based interpretation of events appears to be the truth, which directly leads away from understanding what is really going on and from true healing. Again, I repeat, many, if not all, of our wounds and therefore our pain are rooted in genetically inherited traumas, multi-generational assaults reinforced through unconscious actions, generation after generation, stored and repeated ad nauseum. So these things are never imposed from the outside. Blocks to the awareness of ourselves as love are internal and removable if one has the technology to do so. All healing, return to love, is a strictly inside job. The act of removing that intergenerational trauma is the true definition of forgiveness. All perception is autobiographical. The constructs of our mind tell us, first and foremost, what is going on inside of us. Until generational traumas are removed, we're easily tricked into believing the false pictures and perceptions generated by our minds. As long as we believe that something outside of us is a cause rather than just a trigger of what's moving within, we inhabit a world of lies. Feelings do not come from seeing something. They come from internally generated energies, all self-imposed. Flamers would do well to understand denial, the act of thinking or speaking, as if something outside of oneself is the cause of what is moving inside. Denial results in instant dissociation, the hiding of truth which blocks awareness of one's own internal dynamics, resulting in an unnatural condition called the unconscious mind. Carl Jung, describing the source of this unconsciousness and the seemingly unavoidable repeating of painful experiences explains how trauma recurs until resolved by the action of changing old familial habits of mind. Jung says, quote, whatever is rejected from the self appears, I'll interject there through blame, in the world, interjecting again called perception, as an event. Whatever is rejected from the self appears in the world as an event. We meet ourselves, again interjecting in his quote, 
in our projections on others. Time and again, a thousand in a thousand disguises on the path of life. Until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct our lives, and we will call it fate. Young goes on to say, everything that appears to irritate us about others can lead to understanding of oneself. Actually, I interjected the appears to. His quote actually says, everything that irritates us about others can lead to self understanding oneself. So it seems like that little piece was missing for him because, of course, no one can do anything that can irritate us. But if there's irritation in us, oh, there can there'll be a whole procession of people that seem to be able to irritate us. We must put an end to the multi-generational fantasy of victimhood that many mistakenly swear is true. And there is a wonderful piece of music. If you haven't heard it yet, I suggest you go to YouTube and I'm just putting in to search in for the words. It's a great tune. It's a great piece of music. But beyond that, when you listen to the words, and here are the words to Alanis Morissette's song. If I could play it, I'd play it, but we can't. But I suggest you get on, on YouTube and give it a listen because there's a really nice tune to it. It's one you can catch and, and really integrate the thoughts. I've been most unwilling to see this turmoil of mine. The thought of sitting with this has me paralyzed. This prolonged exposure to mirror and averted eyes, of course, that's being in a relationship. I feigned that I've been waiting such mileage or empathizing, like this person should fix it for me. And now I see the madness in me is brought out in the presence of you. Now I know the madness lives on when you're not in the room. And though I'd love to blame you for all, I'd miss these moments of opportune. You've simply brought this madness to light, and I should thank you. And the refrain comes in, oh, thank you. Much thanks for this bird's eye view. Oh, thank you for your most generous triggers. You think she'd been in a wise or something to me again workshop. Obviously, to write this, she's done her work. Been all too easy to cross my arms and roll my eyes. The thought of dropping all arms leaves me terrified. So she talked about now when you start to let the defenses down, you let the veil of the temple open, and you start to touch into what's in there. And now I see the madness in me is brought out in the presence of you. Now I know the madness lives on when you're not in the room. And though I'd love to blame you for all, I miss these moments of opportunity. You simply brought this madness to light, and I should thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks for this bird's eye view. Oh, thank you for your most generous triggers. Now, can you see yourself just smiling when somebody brings your deepest stuff up and saying thank you for the trigger? Yeah, right. And then she goes on, I'd have to give up knowing and give up being right. You inadvertent hero, you angel in disguise. 
Once again, and now I see the madness in me is brought out in the presence of you. Now I know the madness lives on when you're not in the room. And though I'd love to blame you, I miss these moments of opportune, this madness delight. And I should thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for this bird's eye view. Thank you for your most generous triggers. Actually, and, and I'm just seeing here under the uh, words of the song, it was written by Alanis Morissette and someone named Guy Sigsworth. So thank you, Guy and Alanis, for the standing, for having done your work to just be able to even think those thoughts, to write those words. And if uh, I'm just basically reading through the article to share it with you, ask you to hold the space by integrating it and understanding it on a deeper level. And if you have any questions, please push one and Jeannie, please interrupt me and we'll, we'll go into questions, into refinements if they're needed. But, you know, one of my objectives in reading this is just to take the whole vibration of this, the whole pattern of energy of understanding and put it out into massive numbers of minds so that those minds can be shifted out of the hostility and fear-based projections. So once again, we must put an end to the multi-generational fantasy of victimhood that many mistakenly swear is true. I've been through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people. You're the only one that was there every time. Denial sounds like, you made me so mad. You made me so sad. You made me so afraid. You hurt me. I'm your innocent victim. And it's interesting in our culture, victimhood kind of has this energy of um, righteousness or of it's got to be true. And so it's upheld in the culture. And I'll invite, you know, anybody that's playing the victim game, whoever you're playing the victim card with, it might be time to let that go and look at the next layer of your own mind because the very things that people don't want to look at and deal with are the very things that are most urgent to be dealt with. And rest assured, life will give you every opportunity you need for when you're in denial, you are unconsciously directing the show. And life's purpose, when we dissociate from pain, is to kick us right square in the limitation. So how do we make the unconscious conscious? The tools for reliably doing that, doing what the ancient teachings were called opening the veil of the temple, beneath which we keep our pain hidden, the barrier, between the subconscious and the unconscious mind. And the removal of assault energy appeared on Earth 2,000 years ago in the Aramaic language. The ancient tool of forgiveness is a process that uncovers and removes what we've hidden from ourselves through denial, hidden within ourselves. Pardoning, a change forgiveness from an internal process to an outer direct act. Forgive, let them off the hook, we've been told. 
But that errant directive, this simple, effective healing technology of forgiveness, was lost to humanity. In the Greek misinterpretation, we're convinced we need to be forgiven for something rather than realize there's something to be forgiven, something to be removed from our minds. This slippery twist has left millions letting others off the hook for what is generated by their own minds rather than taking responsibility and removing from their minds that is forgiving, projecting hidden, often generational content within themselves. So letting someone outside of us off the hook for what's going on inside of us will never rid of us of our experience of internally generated hurt, upset, or pain. Outer-directed acts do not bring connection to internally generated dynamics. Pardon me, do not bring correction to internally generated dynamics. Engaging in actual forgiveness creates a visceral opening that facilitates the flow of love and light to every instant, every experience of our lives and physiology. Alone or lonely, afraid or sad, rageful or hateful, through forgiveness, the space is created for love to flow into that clean and open space within your mind. And the transmutation, removal of the energy of pain happens in an instant of actual forgiveness. Lived pain or turmoil is always an invitation to end denial, to learn, and to apply forgiveness. And of course, if you haven't done the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop recently, we suggest or invite you to go ahead and do that. There's several ways to do it. You can download the book from our website if you go to whyagain.org. There's a picture of the book cover in the middle of the page. If you click on it and drill down, you can download it in any one of, I'm not even sure now how many, 12, 13, 14 languages, whatever it is. You can go to whyagain.org again and click on our YouTube channel. Just look where the media links are, where the social media is. Click on YouTube. And then look for why is this happening to me again? Uh, back in, I think it was June, I did a, a three-hour why is this happening to me again workshop that we decided instead of being a product in our catalog that people would have to purchase, it would be there free. So you can watch that video. This would be the place to really put it. So perception, the world we think we see with our, we see with our eyes and is an hologram generated out of past content a projection of the mind. We see nothing with our eyes. We see with our brains. There is no life in a hologram. There's an awesome video done by a gentleman named Anil Seth, who's a neuroscientist. Here's a quote from that video. Perception is a mental construct generated by the mind, body, nervous system. Quote, the whole world we think we see is an hallucination unique to each person. When we agree on our shared hallucination, we call it reality. And then I put a quote on the CIA research, which we've talked about many times over the years on the show, where the CIA was doing research on how to improve perception 
just what perception was, so that their intelligence analysts could more effectively deal to their jobs. There's a link on our website to the book. We actually used to link it on the CIA website, but it's moved around and disappeared a couple of times, so we finally put a copy of it on our website. So as a result of whatever, I don't know how many millions of dollars of your money they spent, you might as well benefit from this information. It's your money paid for it. Here's what the CIA says, quote, Perception is a demonstrably active rather than passive process. It constructs rather than records reality. Construct their own version of reality. Your mind, based on content resonated by experiences, literally constructs the world you see. Reality, or perception, the output of the mind, is either a high-quality, accurate picture, poor-quality, deceptive projection. The experience of the presence of love in, in one's physiology indicates the mind is on track. Any form of fear and or hostility is an indicator that the mind is using corrupt data to build its projections rather than reflect accurate information about actuality. When you see corrupt data, the mind massages its unconscious content into pictures that appear to be of external things. And I tell you that you're the cause of what's happening inside of me, I become the equivalent of a full-fledged, card-carrying member of the universal one-world religion of blame. All perception, the world made up by us, including sensations in the body, are autobiographical. Projection is the act of pretending something outside of me, causing what's moving inside of me. It is the act of building realities out of resonated internal content and pretending that hologram, that image, is actually out there. So there's work to be done. Other videos you might want to look at on our uh, YouTube channel, What is the World? And I think if you just do the search bar when you're in our page, ACIM, What is the World? And then the instructions for how to forgive are there in the Wise Chapman Comedian Workshop. You can also search our app store or your, your app store on your phone for Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And what you'll find is the set of instructions for how to engage the forgiveness process, the worksheet process is right there. It is a purposely designed, at the NAPA, it's purposely divined, designed, pardon me, to be totally and completely private. So we invite you to take it, go to work, have some fun with it. It's an awesome tool. And there is a, a link on each page in the app if you come across a question and you're not sure what to do with something. Click the link, ask your question, hit the send button. She will get the question, 
We'll read it on our next radio show, answer the question, and then we'll pass the information back to you via email to let you know where your answer is. And so that's the uh, the post I put on that I ask everybody to hold the space for, that it goes out into the world with the intention. I know that uh, some people who live in the, in the game of denial and blame might want to... Uh, bring assault or insult to it. So I'll just ask everybody just to hold the space that anything less than love that comes up for anyone reading it heals and the true intention of it and the technology becomes available that people are willing to receive it and ultimately willing to take it, avail- take it to the world, make it available on a mass scale that we can take this technology, this understanding, and put it into practice so that atrocities like what happened last week are ended on the earth, whether they're little personal atrocities that happen in family systems or, and, you know, this is just a major uh, atrocity happening in a family system. You know, these guys are brothers. Like, what happened? As I was doing some research for that article this morning, I found an interesting piece of information that I did not know if you go back to the story of Abraham and sacrificing Isaac uh, in the uh, the Old Testament, uh, what I found today was a piece of information that says that in the Quran, it isn't a story about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, it's Abraham sacrificing Ishmael. The story's changed, different, different son, which just has some interesting implications. So that's my story for today. How does that fit for everybody? You, you have a hand up. All right, let's say hello. It is six one zero. Hi, Susan. Hey, Michael. welcome, young lady. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for this. This has been front and center of my work and thoughts. Um. I wonder, first of all, I missed, where did you put this? Where did you post this that you wrote? I just, I posted on Facebook today with some trepidation, uh, you know, with with the intensity of the conflict that's going on in Israel right now and the conflict going on in America with people who, you know, are taking all sides of the argument and, you know, politicians praising Hamas for their murderous rage and talking about how intelligent they are. It's pretty bizarre. Right. Okay. And, okay. You know, trauma. Yeah. It's it's you know it's nothing but a, a, an expression of trauma. And when we can get somebody big enough, enough minds big enough to hold the space for the healing of that trauma, no matter how terrible the perpetrator's behavior seems to be, or how terrible the response is to the perpetrator's behavior, then we're going to start changing the game on planet Earth, and it's time. And you said. Sorry, I mustn't have been listening, but you said you went through a healing crisis while writing this, or this brought up a healing crisis from a long time ago. Well, no, I was I was talking about when I when I this morning I woke. You know, that's usually my time when I get my best guidance. It's first thing in the morning before I get up, right. and I had the the whole situation that's gone on with the uh, murders in the Middle East and such and the inclination to write an article about it. And 
I went through some of the same trouble. What I started out explaining was back about 15 years ago, and you've you've heard me speak about this before on the show. We were invited to speak at a synagogue in Florida, and then ended up doing the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop, where I I had a similar trepidation to what I had this morning of putting this out. Of you know, here I am at the Holocaust Museum with a room full of Jewish people, and I'm going to talk about being responsible for what happened. And that uh, there was some trepidation in that for me. And and the next day, I mean, the workshop, the, the receptivity for that message yeah. was awesome. And oh. the next day I went into one of the deepest physical healing crises I've ever had. Oh, and maybe tomorrow I'll go into uh, another one. I don't know. I'm I'm willing. But, uh, mm-hmm. but some of the same trepidation showed up about posting this in a public mm-hmm. forum. Right. So it's there on the Facebook page. And I don't know if I have the right to ask, but what did the healing crisis, what was it like? How did it manifest? We were getting ready to, uh, actually, we were getting on a plane the next day. Where were we flying? Do you remember, Jeannie? I don't remember now. Somewhere in Europe or? I don't remember. Or we were going on a cruise. It might have been a cruise. I'm not sure. Anyway, my uh, my sides around my lungs, which has been my nemesis, broke out in shingles, which I'd never had before and I've never had since. And it was intense. Oh, boy. Yes, it would be. And I realized, you know, I mean, I knew right away that the energy from the the healing, the the flow of information, the opening that happened in the workshop the day before in the Holocaust Museum in Fort Lauderdale, that that new vitality was what opened that for me and allowed my body to let go of whatever it was that it needed to let go of. But it was pretty intense. Oh, it sounds that way. Well, again, I'm just so glad you're, I mean, this is where my mind has been. So it's wonderful to have you on the radio show talking about it because there's that's what's what's right up in front and there is um you know there are available triggers all over the place i remember as yes. in my age range i remember as a child people building bomb shelters we taking cover under desks right. at school being told that this is going to be bad and there may be bombs. And whenever we heard an airplane go over, we froze in fear. That was back then. And I, my mind goes bananas now and says, well, this is even worse. This could be worse with, combined with everything else that's going on, climate change and so forth. You think that was bad. Now it's really bad. I mean, my mind is going bananas with this stuff. And, I'm using the tools, uh, and but it's good to talk. And I, I think it's wonderful that you. I haven't read what you posted, but I can imagine that's what's needed is a correction all around, all sides. No one to blame. Just let's get to work before this goes any further. I, I've been reading and listening to things too. Now Chomsky, who's I admire so much, but yet, whoa, uh, Jordan Peterson, who takes, he, he interviewed Netanyahu, and Netanyahu's whole take is 
so different than Gabor Mate, who speaks as a Jew, saying, I cried every day in Gaza for three weeks when I was there, you know, saying how he sees the pain on both sides. These things have been very informative. What, Michael? For the assault. Yeah. Right. Right. And to to give it enough of a margin to remember to breathe and do the work, take a side. Um, Tim Bingham and I have it more because his mother's Jewish and he automatically goes to the support of Israel. But I've been <laughs> feeding him all these videos and he says, yeah, and he's, he's loosening up and realizing the way you have, how much we need to do this work. Uh, well, I can remember when we were presenting in the Holocaust Museum in Fort Lauderdale, I think the, the turnaround point mm-hmm. when I started to present about that was bringing forward, pointing out that Job's, the whole story of Job is nothing but a story of a healing crisis. And Job's mm-hmm. final realization is, that which I feared most has come upon me. Huge. And it all turns on that. You know, without yep. that piece of information, without that insight, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's you know, we I mean, the, the world we paint on the inside of our eyeballs with our unresolved trauma sure does look like it's out there, and we sure can pull people in to, to play it out for us. Yep. Well, well this you know, when, when they said in the scriptures, nothing will remain hidden, everything will be made known in the light of day, I think that's mm-hmm. what they were referring to, that, you know, whatever it is that I hold in me that I don't want to deal with, somebody's going to show up. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's the law. It's the way it works. Amazing. And Amazing. when we move it, oh, the, 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 the insight, the wisdom, and then for Yeshua to come along, you know, right. and a lot of Christianity want to claim him as one of theirs, but he was a Jew. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's the bottom line. He was a rabbi. That's the bottom line. Like, stop this stuff that he's anything other than that. But he understood what drove perception. He understood mm-hmm. that it was goals, and he understood what needed to happen was the canceling of those goals. And right now you look at both sides in this conflict, and what are their goals? They're all about destroying, and I shouldn't say all because there are many people who are speaking differently about it. But yeah, so much of it is about how I'm going to destroy you. The, you know, we're, My whole reason for existence is to make sure you're not on the face of the earth anymore. Well, right. if one were successful in carrying out that mission in either side, wiping the other off the face of the earth, guess what would happen? The earth would grow yep. another population who would do the same attacks because the That's attacks true. come from within. They're a reflection of what's yep. going on inside of us. You know, again, mm-hmm. Job, that which I feared most has come upon me. So what do I need yeah. to do? Over 300, well over 300 times, some, some people theorize, and I don't know who's ever counted it, but that in the scriptures, there's, there's one time for every day of the year, 365 times, where it says, fear not. Yeah. And yet most of the world is living in fear. Mm-hmm. And they've got it backward. Yep. And this is like 
a mass scale demonstration of the things we personally deal with in our own psyches. Yes. The macro show of the mini show. Well, there was another occasion where, and this goes back, I'm not even sure how many years ago, 20 plus years ago, and I was invited to speak at a Jewish Women's Service Service League in Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. And it was back when the Russians weren't allowing Jews out of Russia. And there was a women's organization that was sponsoring a conference. And the speaker before me was up there railing about never again. Yeah. And I got up to speak about forgiveness (laughs) and responsibility. And this group of, oh, geez, I don't remember how many it was. There's quite a few, 100 plus, might have been 200, I don't know, women. It was a service club, and everybody joined. When I explained the forgiveness process and the canceling calls, everybody joined and did a worksheet on forgiveness regarding the situation going on in Russia. Wow. And it was just a matter of weeks, and Russia started to let the Jews out of Russia. Oh, God. It was a matter of weeks. we're creators and until we get that message and can see that yeah. what shows up in our lives is our reflection mm-hmm. tough world to live in the blame game yeah easy to find ammunition oh yes mm-hmm. oh yes all you have to do is just say one phrase you made me, and your mind will show you that the problem's outside of you. <laughs> yep. You know, our whole, I I feel so blessed that one day I was teaching why is this happening to me again workshop, and, you know, at the top of the board for the first 20-plus years that I taught forgiveness, there were three words on top of the board. There was deny, suppress, and project. And what I understood at that time was when we deny That is, we don't want to deal with something. That was my definition of denial back then. Then we suppress it in ourselves. We hide it from ourselves. And then we project it. And one of the, to me, in in terms of specific upgrades in my memory to the why is this happening to me again workshop as I developed it was when I changed the middle word in that three-word gathering at the top of the board, and it became deny, dissociate, project. And I was, I mean, I was literally taught, I was literally told, this is one of those occasions where, you know, I'm really clear when the Aramaic talks about Rukha Dukucha, she who undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. I was literally instructed, not by a voice that had any sound to it, but by a voice that said it's not deny suppress, it's deny and dissociate. And I was shown that dissociation took to, it wasn't just suppressing it, hiding it from yourself somewhere. Literally, dissociation meant it's no longer mine. I can no longer affect change in this. And it's what I dissociate from is hidden inside of me and it's going to run my life. 
that was you know in in my memory of 40 some years of developing the wise or happening to me again workshop that's one of the pinnacle moments you know for me of wow what a what a major shift in understanding to just change that word suppress to dissociate you know i huh? have a question about that yes dissociate i'm picturing these three words in a physical way left middle and right when you say suppress, right. you're pushing it below your awareness. When you dissociate, right. I get the feeling that you still have perfectly clear access to it. Well, my take would be actually the opposite. My take okay. is that when you dissociate, you have zero access to it directly. Okay. But because you put the energy of shutting it down into it you've intensified that energy within yourself which means that you will send out a literal measurable high energy wave that through resonance mm -hmm. will draw somebody to do that to you and when they do and this is like the drive of life to heal itself when they do that terrible thing that you've dissociated from it resonates the dissociated part of the mind, and now you go into indirect relationship with it by projecting it into your brain's image of them, by making up your picture of them out of what you've dissociated from. And if you suppress, you don't do that. You've gotten suppression puts it even further down deep or, or takes it away from the table more. Well, for me, the, 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 the subtlety, the subtle difference is that when I'm in dissociation, I have no, like, suppression to me back then as I was thinking of it, well, you know, I'm just hiding it from myself. You know, it's over there in the closet. I can go get it anytime I want. It's hiding. But dissociation mm -hmm. means, no, it's not in the closet. It's in the vault that's in the vault that's in the vault that's in the vault, and I don't have the combination to any of those locks. I can't access oh, I it. I can't change it until I have the combination. And the combination mm -hmm. to the vault is forgiveness. That's the password to getting into the vault. Because when when I've got something that I've, cut myself off from okay I'm in denial what's denial mm -hmm. when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside so you made me mad so now there's a part of me that holds mad and I dissociate from that it's now locked in the vault a thousand people are going to show up in my life to quote unquote make me mad that are going to resonate that yeah. And when they resonate it, because I have no direct access to it, I have no idea that it's mine. It's you who made me mad. Mm -hmm. And so literally what happens is when that person shows up in response to that dissociated content and they do the behavior related or literally energetically driven by that content, Yep. You know, if people aren't very conscious, they're driven by all of the energies going on around them. When you get conscious, you realize what energy is driving you, and that's when you can start to take conscious charge of your life. But when that dissociated content resonates, let's say, let's say the you made me mad because you raged at me. So, so I dissociate from that whole idea of mad and rage, and 
with that energy radiating out from me, I literally resonate someone with rage in them. And so they show up and they rage. And when they rage, that resonates that dissociated content in me. That's the matching bag of garbage. Mm-hmm. And because I have no direct access to it, the only way that rage that they've just resonated in me shows up is I literally build a picture that I call them in my mind, and I paint that picture on the inside of my bo- eyeballs with my mind, and there mm-hmm. I can see that this rage really belongs to them. I mean, I can really actually literally see it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's outside of me. <laughs> but, of course, yeah. once you got you know, you start realizing, oh, I'm the one who's feeling this. Hmm, maybe it's got something to do with me. Right. Then you've got the, the access of this brilliant piece of information from Yeshua, which says, here's how you forgive. You have a goal for that object of attention that's raging you right now, and that goal is, and it might be a variety of different things. It might be I want them to be kind to me. I want them to respect me. I want them to cherish me. I want them to treat me like a human being. There could be a whole range of of goals. Whichever goal is the actual goal the mind is using, you have to hit on that one. And when you hit on that one and you cancel it, then that whole projection from the dissociated content collapses the whole picture of them as the the expression of what i've dissociated from collapses in on itself now i have direct access to that hidden part of myself and when i breathe and when i hold active present love that part of me dissolves that's the trick of healing. That's the brilliance yeah. of that forgiveness tool from Yeshua. It, and it isn't necessarily a one-shot thing. It absolutely is not a one-shot thing, no. I mean, okay. let, let's take a look at this situation going on, the one I was just sharing about. I posted it with a link. Of the, one of the things that had triggered it, i have been reading an article uh, from a family that was interviewed, and one of the things they said was, we don't know why this happened to us. These mm-hmm. part of the families in America, and they had several family members who were over there in the kibbutz who were killed. We don't know why mm-hmm. this is happening to us. And that was kind of the thing that ultimately triggered, I need to write this in a way that puts out into the world the understanding of how this game how association works and that we need to reclaim those parts of ourselves and clean them up if we ever want the the ter- terrorizing expression out there in the world to be dealt with, to be healed. It has to happen. Yeah. And, you know, you think about, you know, a, a family situation like this, how deep how many worksheets are going to need to be done by to deal with, let's say, the, the brother and sister who grew up fighting with each other and blaming each other, who are just like the brothers that are the Jews and the Arabs who are fighting with each other. There was an expression there. Then there was an expression with the parents, and then there was a power person. And then there was, you know, the, the group at school that picked on me, and then there was the, and then there was, and there was, and there was. And each of those things is going to require forgiveness to ultimately get back to the space where I can get to the core of this and mm-hmm. remove it from my structure. And the fact mm-hmm. that not only I, but 
thousands or millions of people in my family system carry the same trauma, the tendency to keep it in, to hold it in abeyance, to keep it hidden from myself is reinforced by the fact that millions of people are doing that. And who's going to have the courage to step up and, and break the cycle? Right. And, if you and that's do, where every tool comes in. You know, yeah. the, the show where a few weeks ago Jeannie shared how there was a, actually the, the on, based on the love exchange, how they brought in the Middle East, they brought groups of Jews and Arabs together who just sat in the room and looked at each other and transformed the whole conversation of the community and the, the relationship between them. You know, it's, it's like, to me, each of those things is what helps to open the field and get us to the point where critical mass can take over and the whole game can change. It's like that, that exercise we did with, with the, the uh, ladies club in Fort Lauderdale. I know exactly why they started to let the Jews out of Israel or out of, um, pardon me, um, Russia at that time. I know exactly why. It was the piece of work that that large group of women did owning, processing, and looking at their own terror and trauma. Mm-hmm. So, the, 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 you know, when, when Yeshua, the physicist, says a little leavening leavens the whole loaf, yeah. We're talking about critical mass in physics when we reach a point where the energy system, you know, the, the, the weights and balances shift to the side where, oh, okay, so we can take responsibility. We have people who are willing and able and capable of, of literally accessing horrific traumas from within their mm-hmm. own genes and processing through them. And each one that goes through that door makes it a little easier for everybody else to walk through the same door. Mm -hmm. May we do it in time. Yes. Yes. Thanks so much. I'm with you 100%. And, you know, the, the one of the ultimate expressions of all we have to do is kill those bad guys is a psychosis in the mind, ultimately, that comes from that dissociation. And it leads to things, you know, one of the, I was reviewing a uh, a book uh, written by several psychiatrists about some of the insanity going on here in America in the political system. And mm-hmm. one of the things that the, the psychiatrist that was being interviewed pointed out was that fascism is not a political ideology. This like was a major light bulb in my mind. Fascism is not a political ideology. It is a psychosis. It is a mental illness. Wow. Now think about every fascist dictator you've ever heard of, and what oh, are yeah. they? They're mentally mm-hmm. ill. I mean, they do insane, yeah. insane, bizarre things to themselves and to each other and everybody around them. Mm-hmm. So looking at it, you know, I, I've always thought of fascism as the as the culture has brainwashed as well. It's just another political ideology. No, it's not. The psychiatrist really like bingo is like a major light bulb for me. No, this is psychosis. This is mental mm-hmm. illness. Mm-hmm. And you know, when a, re, a leader is raised up that has that mental illness. Everybody who's had the same family abuse, the same, uh, you know, power person abuse, 
has permission to go into their insanity and blow anybody they want away with it. If the if the leader is blowing people away with it, well, it must be okay for me. And so, that's you know, the, the insanity today that's up in America for healing, the, the bizarre power person dynamics that allows the rage, the name-calling, the violence, the viciousness, the attacks on everything, that psychosis is up for healing big time. And, you know, to me, it's like, so can we get enough people on the team to hold the space for that whole packet of insane energy to be healed? It's time. I mean, it's up there. It's time. So joining you and holding the space within our own family systems, within our own communities, our own cultures, for us all to function as we're designed to function as conscious, active, present love and returning to that. Amen. And a woman. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, lot, young Michael. lady. All right, we're down to the last few seconds. The show's going to cut us off. Just uh, invite everybody to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Thank you, Susan. Bye-bye.